You are listening to Love Your Practice with Dr. Laura Mock. I'm a general dentist, a practice owner, and a certified life coach. I teach women who own dental practices to lead with intention and literally fall in love with their businesses. Keep listening and you will see how learning to love your practice turns into loving your life too. Hello, welcome to my podcast. I'm Dr. Laura Mock, and today I'm here to introduce to you my next episode, wherein I interviewed the fascinating dental hygienist, Christine Curtis. Now, to give you a little bit of backstory, Christine and I met in a course for dental speakers, and I was fascinated because she, like me, has studied the brain and kind of like what our human brains do as organs. And we're both from dentistry, but interestingly, as a hygienist, she has a fresh perspective, a new way of looking at what happens with our brain as we dentist, if that makes sense. And she told me what I would refer to as a cautionary tale, basically, of how she was in some ways mistreated by an employer who had her in her employee for, it was over a decade, I can't remember how many years it was, but together we looked at what might've been happening in that dentist's brain just to help us understand. And I, I just think that you guys will really get a lot out of this, this um, episode as far as recognizing any thought patterns that are hurting us in our leadership. Now, before we get started, I have one thing to tell you, and that is I had my webinar last night. Woo-hoo! Of course, by the time you hear this, it will have been last week, but it was so good. And so if you missed it, I want you to know it is not too late for you to listen to the webinar. And um, if you want a code, or, or excuse me, if you want a link to the webinar, you can text in one word, no spaces, love your practice to the number 22828. And you'll get a link back that takes you right to the webinar replay. So you can listen to it. And in that webinar, I talk about how you can learn to love your practice by changing only one thing. So if you've been stressed about your practice, if you're worried about it, if you're not really enjoying going to work anymore, this webinar can help you. So yeah, I'd love to have you listen to that, even if you didn't catch it live. And now I think it's time to start this episode. So I will see you on the other side, ladies. I hope you have a great day. All right. I would like to welcome today onto my podcast, the lovely Christine Curtis. Christine, welcome to our program. Thank you. All right. Now, before I get started, I want to give my ladies a little bit of background of how we landed here right now today. Okay. So Christine and I are taking a class together on how to get the word out to what we um, what we offer to dentists and dentistry. And we started talking during the break and we found out that we are basically of one mind <laughs> when it comes to brains and, um, and our mental health and, and just kind of well-being and, and being aware of what our brains need in order to function well and reduce stress and things like that. So we were talking and she told me her story and I was like, you know what? I think that this story might be a really, really good illustration 
for my listeners who are female dentists who either own a practice or are aspiring to own a practice. And I'm going to tell you, Christine, we struggle sometimes. We didn't go to business school. We went to school to learn how to cut crowns and find cavities and, and be perfect. And nobody taught us how to be leaders. And we spend so much of our time drilling and filling and being the technician that we're tired and we don't take the time that we need to typically in order to properly lead a practice and to manage what's happening between our ears in our brains. So what I want to do is I want you to tell us kind of how you got to where you are, because correct me if I'm wrong, but you are a veteran dental hygienist over 30 years of experience, correct? And you are certified through the Brain Institute. Is that right? Brain Revolution. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Brain Revolution. Thank you. So tell me, order in order of operations here, how did you get from dental hygienist to this Brain Institute program? Well, um, as a veteran um, dental hygienist, I have always known that um, the first sign of disease shows up in the mouth and the last place for it to leave is in the mouth. That gave me a responsibility to my patients uh, to make sure that they understood how important their oral health was. Mm -hmm. Up until recently, I don't think that they had the connection as to how important it is to have a healthy brain, to have a healthy body. Mm -hmm. And I am actually um, bringing the brain revolution um, to the dental community so that we can actually coordinate between the medical community and the dental community how important wellness is both inside the dental practice as well as with our patients. Okay. So take me back to 20, 20 plus years ago and the job that you had before you retired. Yes. Um, I actually wrote the book on that. I'm passionate um, with my employer at the time, 20 years ago, I got to um, watch her children grow up. I got to watch um, the, her practice blossom. Uh, whenever I first started, uh, she did have issues with leadership and running a business. Uh, and I always had worked in two different practices. I thought that was a very good thing um, at that time. I, the office stuff, for lack of a better word, I'm sure everybody understands that, um, was different in each office. And it actually removed me from that gossipy kind of um, what I know now um, is um, mind uh, work. Um, and that that was actually causing um, some chemistry in the brain to not be as healthy as it was. Uh, so I was excited um, to be, or I was always happy um, to work in two different offices because um, I think naturally um, I was staying as well as I could. In okay. the so 
what when we were talking earlier, you told me that when you worked in that office, there were many times when you felt unappreciated. Yes, um, most times I felt unappreciated. Um, the thing that kept me coming back was the wellness of the patient. And I think the patient knew that also, uh, that it was kind of difficult um, to work um, with um, the dentist. Uh, I think I was um, instrumental in making sure that the patients knew what needed to be done um, preventatively. Um, I worked over the 20 years, I actually um, had the privilege of working even with three generations um, where I would work with grandparents and parents and then the grandchildren of patients. And they would actually bring the children to me because they knew that I was um, compassionate. I actually have a son that's autistic. And so I got to learn some of the um, techniques to deal with um, afraid children. And so I, I was instrumental in all of this. I, uh, they, uh, people talk to me about, oh yeah, Chris said they would talk to me or talk about me at the dinner table and they would actually debate um, whether um, I was a good hygienist or if I wasn't a good hygienist or if I told one of them to how to brush and how to floss and they would actually um, talk to me, talk about me um, outside of the office. And that made me very proud because um, I think as a hygienist, it's very difficult to talk to people the same thing every six months, every time that you see them um, to reinforce what we do. Yeah. Uh, it's important to do that. Um, I think they, um, my patients were very well informed. Um, in fact, my husband- um, Wait, I wanna pause there. you. I want to hear from you an example of what made you feel unappreciated. I am sure that you were a great hygienist. There's no doubt in my mind about that. I, I don't need any more evidence of that. I want to know what made you feel unappreciated because my ladies, my ladies that who listen to this podcast, they are trying to be leaders and nobody told them how. I have a perfect example of that. Um, I believe as a hygienist, um, that every patient needs to be periocharted every time. The standard of care for that or the insurance um, requires an annual periocharting. Um, that is what the dentist wanted me to do every once a year. Mm -hmm. um, that did not teach my patients what I needed to do. What I did was I actually chose to perio chart them every time. Um, when I ran over, um, the dentist actually said, I think you can cut corners here. Uh, okay. I um, had shared with you earlier about pay. Um, Let's hear about that. What happened with your pay? Um, I went five years without a raise. Mm -hmm. And I had accepted the job um, at a lower rate, just simply because it was on my way to the other job. It was close to home. Mm -hmm. 
And by doing that, it devalued what I did. Um, and it allowed the dentist to not give me a raise. Uh, it also allowed her to not raise fees and to not stay in um, accordance with what was standard, usual and customary uh, fees. Um, and we are not usual and customary. We need to stand above the rest and we need to charge accordingly for our services. What um, happened with your vacation pay? My vacation pay uh, or vaca getting paid on vacation. If it was inconvenient, well, I can tell a story about this. What would happen is on payday, um, she would actually um, have us wait to have our checks written out after we were done with patients on a late night, whenever we were there until 8.30, we would actually have to wait um, 30 more minutes before going home to have her write out our checks. Um, we, as a group, because she treated all of the, her employees the same way, we decided we were gonna wait until the next Monday to get paid. So that would give her um, a few days to be able to write the um, checks out and we would just pick them up on Monday morning. What ended up happening is she ended up writing the checks on Monday morning at the same time. And we had to wait um, before we went home on Monday morning. Um, if the vacation happened um, while it was payday week, because we got paid every two weeks, we would have to wait until after we got back from vacation rather than get paid before vacation. And we allowed this to happen. Um, and that's unfair. That's unfair to everyone. It was unfair to her because she had that running, um, going hanging over her head. Um, and it was unfair to us to not be paid on time. Yeah. Um, so that was, that was not good leadership as we heard. Yeah. Are there any other examples you want to give? And then I think that you and I as brain people can, um, sort of evaluate what happened here. I mean, I can imagine what was going through her mind. I can only guess, but I'm so close to the situation that I've had thoughts that maybe would have put me in a similar not exactly the same because hopefully I'm a good leader. I try to be, but like I can just sort of almost see it as a film strip in my mind, what was going through her, her brain. But do you have any other good examples of times when she clearly wasn't treating you the way you deserved? Um, I have a perfect example. Uh, the reports um, that needed to be run a well, or even a um, morning huddle. We all know how important those are. Mm -hmm. um, she thought that was a waste of time, so we never had a morning huddle, and she would try to um, do that during regular working hours. Um, it was not good for the patient um, because she would all of a sudden pull you away from the patient in order to talk about the next patient that you had or that patient um, that was a problem. Then whenever I, I did this, um, I had gone to a seminar and um, wanted to look at what the um, accounts receivable were, the AR report. I pulled that AR report and um, I asked her what she thought that was because as we know, an AR report, we should have, I don't know about 
you're going to have to help me with that. It should be about 20% of the annual um, income. Isn't that what that is? Account oh, I don't know what the standard number is. I don't know exactly. We collect, what is. we collect before people make their appointments, so when, we don't really have an AR. But we um, actually looked at that, and then she goes, oh, I'm sure that my accounts receivable are very, very high. They probably are about $20,000. Um, they were at $200,000 for <gasps> accounts receivable. And we had a profit sharing. Um, and what that was part of that money, that 20%, I'm expecting it to be 20%. Again, that's what a profit sharing probably is 20%. And then it's um, dispersed between the um, employees. I, again, don't quote me on that, but I think that's how that should work. Um, and that's one way to have it work. But that 20% of that $200,000 is my money. Okay, so 20% of what though? How did the profit sharing work? 20% um, of the profit at the end of the year okay. um, were split among the employees. And at one time you had three employees or one time you had four employees. Mm -hmm. um, and I know um, some years the profit was better than others and some years it was not. But I know that the accounts receivable needed to be collected and should have gone into those that profit sharing. Sure. Okay. Well, those are some really pretty good examples. Um, I really like the one where she waited to pay you until after vacation, because I think that one might be a really good one to look at as far as like, what in the world was going through her mind? So I'm just kind of thinking about it now on one hand, I will say, not that I'm not saying what she did was right. I just can totally understand how it could happen <laughs> because how do I say this? When I go to work, sometimes my brain convinces me that I have too much to do. And so what I'll do is I'll do, um, the work that either someone is standing right in front of me asking me to do, like they're in the appointment book, right? So they're in the chair, they're waiting for me to numb them. Or I'll do the more pleasant things or the things that make me money, but not necessarily the things where I'm, you know, giving the money out to somebody else, you know, and all of a sudden I'll be like, oh my gosh, it's been six weeks since I've paid the bills. <laughs> I think I should probably do that, you know, and then I'll sit down with my piles of paper and um, like I get into this habit of saying, well, I'm too busy to do that or, oh yeah, that's going to cost money. I'll do that later. And so I can kind of see what might've been going through her mind when she waited to pay you, but also my employees are my greatest asset. And Marion Dental, my practice is nothing without them because I can only do so much in one day and I am completely dependent on them to represent and treat under my license and in the way that I would have them do it. And the way that I 
the way that I make this transaction for that work that they do is to pay them and to pay them well. That's what they do, right? I, that they're, they're professionals. They're amazing, emotionally mature women. And they need to be able to know when they're getting paid or they're going to have to go find another job because they have obligations for that money, right? But now that we understand a little bit more about what brains do, I'm just wondering if you and I could both take a, a gander, I guess, at what was going through her mind when she would wait to pay you until after vacation. Have you thought about that now that you've studied the brain? Actually, no. <laughs> um, uh, I was so hurt yes. at that time. I can only tell you what went through my brain. Well, what went through your brain? Um, that was what it was. It was hurt and it was anger. I was angry because I don't think she thought mm -hmm. how important that small amount of money was. Yeah. And it was a small amount of money compared to how other um, professionals were paid. And it made me angry that I had to have two jobs in order to support that so that I could take care of the patients the way that they needed to do that. I can't imagine um, what was going on in her brain, except after hearing you, and I understand about overwhelm. Mm -hmm. um, and I can also understand from her standpoint, whenever her finances were in such a mess, which whenever you don't realize that you have $200,000 in accounts receivable and you think it's a tenth of that. Yeah. Um, that the cash flow had to be terrible. Um, and I actually, but from that standpoint, I'm gonna um, say something else that I wanted her to get financing um, and, uh, or to be able to provide that for her patients as a service, not as a, not being able to pay for treatment. And that again, um, what she looked at financing, patient financing for, is that you should not ask patients to pay for something that they, you don't think they can afford. And um, I think it was a controlling thing. Maybe her brain was controlling. Um, we both know that the brain, um, the brain's job um, is for survival. And perhaps um, from that standpoint, she was afraid um, and the brain told her, do not do this. Maybe something terrible is going to happen if you use that money before you go on vacation, or you won't be able to use that money on vacation or something like that. Maybe that's what you were looking for. I mean, I wasn't looking for anything specific. I just like, when I think about how that might've happened to me, not that I've done that. Just so all my listeners know, I have always paid my ladies on time. So going back to how brains work, brains are an organ. And because they're an organ, they were designed by nature. And everything that nature designs has a reason, like a purpose, right? Our heart pumps our blood. 
Our kidneys filter it. Our stomach digests our food. Our brain processes the data that's coming in from the outside world, right? Mm -hmm. And it does it in predictable ways because nature has goals for us. And nature's goals are that we preserve the organism that we live inside and hopefully the organism can reproduce. That's just what nature wants, right? So everything that our brain, it's filtering survival into everything that the data is coming in. Is this good for survival or is this bad for survival? And if it's good for survival, then we feel good. And if it's bad for survival, then we feel scared and maybe run away from it, right? So if we kind of couch dental practice ownership, <laughs> like sprinkle some of that onto the human organ that is called the brain, then we realize that a lot of stuff a lot of that data that we're bringing in when we own a dental practice is gonna make us feel scared, right? We've got the debt, we've got insurance companies shorting us, we've got patients complaining. We, all these things happen and our brain starts to go, this is bad, this is really bad. And I don't really think it would take very long for someone to get into a habit I've gotten into so many of these brain habits of hold on to the money. <laughs> you never know when you're going to run out. Or um, my employees don't really understand or they don't care. They just want more time so they can go back and eat bonbons in between their patients, you know, <laughs> like um, just in case any of my employees are listening. I didn't actually think that I'm just making examples, but um when I, when I filter it through that female dental owner brain, I go, okay, this gal was completely convinced that things were going to fall apart. And she didn't realize what she had right in front of her and all the things to be grateful for with the patients and this excellent hygienist who is so committed to excellent patient care. What do you think about all that? Exactly. And she was trying to control the uncontrollable. Yes, because we get afraid of things we can't control, don't we? Exactly. And that is, and again, from the brain standpoint, it tends to want to look to the negative. Correct. And we need to, to retrain our mm -hmm. brain to look to the positive. Yes. Our brains are negative, just like our heart, heart has this pump and that pump, you know, like our brains want to be negative because it's good for survival. It feels terrible, but it's good for survival. Right. Exactly. And tell me what you mean by retraining the brain. Well, as in that, um, you can look to try to have a five to one positive to negative thought. And every time you have a negative thought, think positively about five positive thoughts to one negative. Mm -hmm. And after you do that and you practice that, it becomes second nature. The brain 
does that automatically for you. Mm -hmm. When, and we've all seen those people, those people that seem to be really positive, they have inadvertently, or maybe, maybe on purpose, maybe. Um, decided that for themselves. Mm -hmm. um, and that's one exercise in order to help the negativity versus the positivity. And you just said that there were so many positive things. She mm -hmm. had such good people that wanted to help her and the patients. Mm -hmm. And every time that she would have thought I have to pull out my checkbook and maybe I don't have enough money or, and then she, but you know what? I have these great people and um, maybe there's, something that can happen where we collect the money or that kind of thing, or we had a great patient that day, or um, it's, those are the things. And if we can train our brain to think of five positive versus one negative, um, it, it makes our lives a whole lot better. Yes. And I just can totally understand how her brain just sort of took her for a ride. You know, her brain was like, oh, we got to survive this. And so she didn't get to enjoy having you work for her. She didn't, you know, these excellent loyal hygienists with all these loyal patients. And she didn't, she didn't get to enjoy it because she didn't have the awareness she needed. Um, that's exactly true. And just as soon as you said that, I feel terrible for her. She missed her daughter's 16th birthday because that was her late night. And rather than reschedule the patient mm -hmm. and enjoy that, she decided she had to work. And her daughter actually had to just figure it out on her own. It was such a sad thing for me. It was sad for me to watch those kids grow up and then have to adjust a 16th birthday because it fell on the wrong day. Oh, sister, I got to tell you, there's so many things I missed with my kids before I realized, because I was like, I made an appointment with this patient. I have to keep it. This is what we do. They're depending on us staying late or, you know, it might be so-and-so's birthday, but this crown, this, I got to seat it. You know, it's, you kind of get hypnotized and you assume that you have to do these certain things. And actually, I can tell you that, and you, that you hit the nail on the head with hypnotize. Mm -hmm. We actually hypnotize ourselves in our beliefs every 37 minutes. That's the science behind that. And that hypnotizing is actually justifying those negative thoughts mm -hmm. from the brain. And that's the manifestation the brain, it takes about the, the mind about five seconds to catch up with the brain. So that negative thought that you have that is coming from the brain, it takes about five seconds for that to manifest itself into the mind. Like into your awareness, kind into of? Your awareness. So that is so interesting because from what I've been taught at the life coach school, what I learned is that the brain craves being right. It wants to be right because that means we're safer. And what, 
when we might be wrong, then that's vulnerable. It's like showing our soft underbelly to the world, right? We're smog the dragon. And so everybody can see the weak spot underneath here. And so what the brain does is it looks for evidence that we're correct. And so if we start going down a track, like a train track of negative thoughts about our employees or our dental practice, our brain's just going to keep on going down that unless we do some coaching or some awareness and we move ourselves over to whatever track we choose because we can actually choose a new thing to think about our practice. You, I mean, you watched me do it about hers. If I owned that practice, I might've, and, and I had a life coach, I might've been able to switch from the wolf is at the door and we're almost out of money to how can I earn more money today? Or who can I help today so that I can make sure I can pay my bills? Or what do I have here to be grateful for? And I'm just asking myself, asking my brain these different questions to get me off of the negative track and back to a new habit. And that takes persistence and understanding. Um, that is one of the questions that you always have to ask yourself is, is it true? Because the brain will lie to you in order to be right. Mm -hmm. There is a coaching tool that we use in our mastermind. And it's an exercise where we separate out the facts of the situation from our thoughts about the fact. So the facts of the situation are data points that everyone in the world would agree with and you have to leave them neutral. So you, you take any situation and you describe it in words that you could say in a court of law or that a fly on the wall would say, she sat down and she said these words, I'm quitting, okay? Whereas my thoughts about that situation might be, my hygienist came in and she told me she hates working here and she's leaving me or, you know, like there's a whole lot more superlatives and, and qualifiers and, and descriptions when we get to the thought. And that what we do then when we separate those two things is it helps us see what's firm and immovable and what's optional. Like you can change how you think about a certain situation. Okay. And I watched you do it when we were talking today, because you started thinking about what was happening in your boss's mind more than you ever had before. And it changed how you felt. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Cause all of a sudden you felt more sorry for her than you had felt before. Mm -hmm. It's kind of sucks for her that she had to get taken on that ride by her brain, right? And she's continuing to do that. And that's the sad part. Yeah. So if I were a dentist and I was convinced that my employees were getting more than they deserved and that they were just um, killing the practice profitability. And I came to you because you were trained in the Brain Institute, did I say it right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Brain, good. brain Revolution. But yeah, oh, that's dang, <laughs> brain Revolution. What would you tell me? Let's look at the facts. 
Okay. Let's it's pull like those reports. Mm -hmm. Let's work. If it's a money issue, let's start with the accounts receivable report and see what's going on with it. Mm -hmm. um, we have so many good resources mm -hmm. um, to help with collection of money. People don't like to, and this is from the brain standpoint, people don't like to, to owe you money. Some of the people don't even know that they owe you money. Um, if we're having money issues, we need to look at what our, what our part of that is. Um, are we carrying people whenever we could actually have, provide care credit or some kind of other financing um, so that the people are responsible to the finance company and not to us? How difficult that, that is um, for the people to see you on the street and know that they owe you money. Yeah. You don't want to do that. Um, you don't want to um, have the parents um, think that the children, that that's a cost, that they don't want to, um, they aren't taking care of their children because they can't afford to go to the dentist. Let's make it so that they can afford to do what you want to do. We do not want to be um, an insurance-based um, practice. And a lot of the practices are, if the insurance doesn't pay for that, then you don't do the service. That is a disservice to the patients. You should give the patients the option and explain to them, this is what the insurance will pay. This is how you can pay the rest of it so that you can have the optimum um, dental care so that you can live the best life that you live, that you want to live. Yeah. So those are the things, but actually, I think um, the short answer of that is to actually look to what the problem is. Yes, I absolutely agree. And if there's anything, you know, to the listeners of this podcast, if you're upset about your practice, get out a piece of paper and write down the reason that you feel upset right now, like literally just write down what you are thinking in your mind. And then when you're done, look at it again and pretend you're a fly on the wall and try to describe it in a factual way. It neutralizes it and it helps it helps you see that you have options. I love that. So what are you trying to do now? Like you, you are entering into the speaker's world, right? What, what are you trying to accomplish? How can you help me help my listeners? I actually want to train dental offices um, to actually use these techniques to train their brains mm -hmm. and then practice those techniques. And then I want them to be able to teach their patients to use those techniques in order for all of us to live the best lives that we can. And I believe that just as disease starts in the mouth and ends in the mouth, brain health can start in the dental office and end in the dental office. That's cool. You know, I have to say, 
since I am a life coach and a dentist, I do find myself using that sometimes and it's quite handy. So um, this might be something that can help my listeners. Um, for example, um, when I can tell someone's really nervous, I'll say the nervousness comes from what you're thinking. And you could think to yourself, I trust Dr. Laura and I know she's gentle. It's going to be okay. And then they'll kind of nod their heads and I'll see them do a little breath of relief. You know, how do people find out more information? Did you say you wrote a book? I did. It's called Your Dream Dental Practice. Happy Patient, Fewer Hours, Easier Life. Okay. It's available on Amazon as an ebook, but I would be more than happy um, to have um, to send a free copy to anybody that would like that. If they could just email me at Chris, C H R I S, at Christine Curtis, R D H dot com. C-H-R-I-S-T-I-N-E-C-U-R-T-I-S-R-D-H.com. And I will make sure that your email is in our show notes. Thank so you. So that people much. can get a copy of that book. I, I'd like a copy. Do I have to email you to get a copy of the book? I think I probably can um, send you one. <laughs> Thank you for asking. <laughs> oh, yeah. that's so. I'm so proud of you for writing that book and for really looking back on on what happened and taking this introspective journey with me. That was, it takes vulnerability to be able to look at something like that. And you did it with me. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It was my pleasure. <laughs> You're awesome. <laughs> okay. So if you want a copy of the lovely Christine Curtis's book about having happy patients and a happy dental practice, then you can email her. And I just want to announce again that my next mastermind is starting out May 7th. So that's happening really soon. Let's see. I'm just looking at a calendar here. This, do, do, do. oh, this is coming out on the 5th of May. So if you're listening to this 2021, 5th of May, it is not too late to join my next group of mastermind um, students, unless it's full, because I only have nine more spots this year. And so send me an email or go to my practice. Love, I mean, my website, loveyourpractice.net and click on enroll in the next mastermind. And I'll see you over there. Alrighty. Thank you, Christine. We will talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to Love Your Practice with Dr. Laura Mock. I would love to meet you. To join our movement, find the Facebook group called Love Your Practice and request to join. If you can't find it, just send me a message and I'll add you. You'll find me there helping all of my ladies to fall in love with their businesses and have a better life.